Here's a simple truth that strangely many of us don't always follow. The why of something has to always precede the what. Think of it this way. Before you do something, you need to have a reason why are you doing it. And yet, bizarrely, many of us are either stuck in habits or routines, and the what precedes the why. We do something and then we look for a reason. Why comes before what? Function precedes form. First you need to understand the purpose of something and then you act on it. This is so critical because it really defines your entire life. Are you a product or even a victim of circumstances? In other words, your why is following your what? Or are you controlling and being proactive? So please join me in this conversation. Why was the world created? Once you have a why, we can then talk about what do you do about it? How do you fulfill it? This will be a fascinating glimpse into the very dynamics of how we work, because it's not just why the world was created, it's also why you were created. Hi, this is Simon Jacobson, and thank you for joining me. We will be speaking about a critical subject called why the world was created, which really is another way of saying why were you created? Why are you here? Why are we here? This program is dedicated by Ayelet Palter in honor of the engagement of Adel Cohen and Shmuley Wolf. So it seems like a, a basic fundamental axiom that a why precedes a what, which means first you need why am I doing something before I do it. And yet, life is such, due to the fact that we grow up in homes and we have a certain education system and, the, and social pressure, whatever the reasons are, that often we're doing things and then we stop ourselves and say, one second, why am I doing this? When really it should begin the other way around. The why should precede the what. What do they say? Form follows function. You don't first create a design till you first understand the function, the purpose of what you want to create, and then you create the package, the design, the way to distribute it. So that's what we want to speak about. Why? And the biggest why of all is the why was the world created, which in effect really means why were you created? Why am I here? Now, I want to begin with an uh, important disclaimer. Every time you have a conversation on any important topic, you have to state your axioms. So this axiom is assuming there's a why. I know that many people, either by default or because this is what they were taught, um, come to a, a feel that there is no why. Many people say there is no purpose for creation. Who says there was a creation? Who says there's a God? Maybe things just evolved. It's true, there are those that go with that approach. But I would firstly submit that even those that believe that or accept that or uh, feel that way also have a why. Their why may be of a different sort. Secondly, 
every, every discussion has to begin somewhere. So I am going with the premise and axiom that there is a why. That when you wake up in the morning and you do something, there's a why, why you're doing it. And just I should also add, why doesn't always mean rational reason. It could be an emotional why. It could be something that's driving it. The why doesn't even have to be a legitimate why. It could sometimes be very irrational. But there is something that's driving the action. What we want to come away with, obviously, not just a rational, but a reasonable, a, and I say rational, I don't mean intellectual, I mean something that we can look at and not saying, oh, it's some crazy desire. Yeah, you can have someone go ahead and start doing things that are very nutty, and you say, why are you doing it? I'm just in the mood, or I need to express myself. Not every why is a justifiable why, and definitely not for everyone. Here we want to talk about it in the broader context, but I did want to begin with that statement because it's important to state because that deserves its own conversation how do we know there's a why how do we know there's a reason now even evolutionary biologists will, will say the reason is survival of the fittest or perpetuation of the species that's what drives existence that's the why if you ask them why is there such a why they'll say because that's a natural thing everything wants to exist now that is also you can argue who says why shouldn't things maybe things can go extinct who says something why is it a given that there's a selfish gene that we must exist? But as I said, I don't want to digress. I want to go back and focus here. Why was the world created? Why am I here? What's the purpose of it all? So then we can go ahead and say, okay, based on that, essentially like a bit, we can now develop a plan. I often point out that you ask someone, um, what, who are you? They give you their business card or they tell you what they do. You say, but that's what you do. It's not who you are. And some will say, well, you know what, after all these years, what I, do, what I do has become who I am. Which is like saying my what has defined my why. When in truth, it should be the other way around. So this is all part of this conversation. Another way of putting it in more business terms, a mission statement precedes the corporation, the company, the entity, the organization. The mission is the why. So the why must always precede the what for things to really flow and most importantly to really fulfill the very purpose of why the, of the why and that's what we are going to be in, in discussing and i would love to hear your feedback and thoughts and so on as always so where do we begin we begin from the beginning the why the why of it all i should also add this is not a religious um, sermon this is not a religious presentation this is a presentation based on the idea that everything has to have a why. Now, in the context of why we are here, you can read many, many books, many philosophies, many schools of thought that spell it out. I'm going to share with you, instead of going through all of them and comparing, rather share with you what I grew up with, my tradition, but it's not a, 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 it's a universal tradition, and what resonates with myself and with so many other people that I've met either on their own or due to my teachings and their relationship with me. But it's not my exclusive uh, creation. It's something that is stated in many documents and many literature that goes back thousands of years. It goes back even to the story of Abraham and all the way to the beginning, exactly the beginning of creation, the beginning of Genesis. In the beginning it says God created heaven and earth. Again, with God, I want to make sure that we're talking about God. Like I usually like to use the story with Levi Yitzchak Abadichev, who said to a self-proclaimed atheist, the God you don't believe in, I don't believe in either. 
So even with the word God, let's not assume any type of religious God or any type of man sitting on a, hev- on a heavenly throne with a long white beard ready to strike us with lightning when we misbehave. I ask you to try to remove all the stereotypes. If you want to use, I like to use the word higher reality. But think of it like an engineer. You see a computer, someone built that computer for a purpose. There's a why. And then there's the what, how you use the computer, what you do with it in order to fulfill the purpose of that machine. And the same is true with any enterprise and any product and any technology and any, 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 anything. So the most beautiful way I've ever seen described the purpose of why we're here is in order for each one of us to actualize all our faculties and our talents and skills to make the corner of the world that we were given a more beautiful place. It sounds very poetic and simple, but think about it. Many of us live lives, as I said before, the what precedes the why. Survival. I wake up in the morning, I'm hungry, I got to eat. I'm tired, I go to sleep. I need money, I go to work. And that's how life, that's called survival-driven life. Purpose-driven life. A mission-driven life. A why-driven life. Not a what-driven life. Ask the question, why? Why am I eating? Why am I drinking? Not just because I'm hungry and I need to survive. Because it's an opportunity. Use that, remember that word. Spiritual opportunity to refine and beautify the experience that I have now encountered. Now when I say the word spiritualized, let me explain what I mean. If we were to look at the world as matter and energy, as is so described in physics, there's a way the Kabbalists, the mystics put it, they say energy and container. Or you can say spirit and matter. These are all really synonymous in the context. We're not talking physics here. We're talking the general context. What is the difference between the two? So we'll use an example. Take a book, just a plain book. You have letters on the page. The letters form words. The words form sentences, phrases, paragraphs, chapters. And you have a story, a narrative, whatever that narrative may be. The letters and the words are the containers. They're the matter that expresses the energy of the ideas and concepts being conveyed through them. It would be like shining a light through a film. So just white light would just be plain white light on, the, on a screen. The letters, the film, create, channel that light, so now you see images, or words, or letters, or whatever it may be. You think about life that way, it's a tremendous way of understanding yourself and everything. Your body and your soul. Your body is your vehicle, your soul is the so-called the captain of the ship, directing your body. Everything is that way. In a way, you can say that spirit driving matter is like the why driving the what. Like, I need to get somewhere right now because I need to uh, purchase something for my home. So now that's the why. Now what's the what? How am I going to get it? You can order it online. You can go to the store. You can have it shipped. I mean, there's all the different ways to do it. So in the context of the broader context of our personal lives, so you ask yourself, okay, what drives my life? Now, if you go with the selfish gene approach that I mentioned earlier, then basically whatever I need right now, it's all instant gratification, short term, I need to survive. Yes, I also want to grow. I want to make some money. I want luxuries. I want comforts. But it's still all driven by survival. It's just, it's just not the minimal survival you want, an expanded survival. When you go with a why, I'm here to serve, to use my 
unique self. And we're going to talk about that in a moment some more. And my unique skills and talents to beautify the corner of my world. Think of yourself as a gardener. You're given a garden. The garden, if it's not tended to, will grow weeds and the flowers and the fruits and whatever else is in the garden will not really properly ever develop. What is a gardener supposed to do? You keep it nourished, watered, you cultivate, you weed it. You're basically doing what needs to be done to make things grow, and you are also eliminating anything that impedes the growth and development of your garden. So your life is your garden. It includes your home, your work, your travel, everyone you know. Are you beautifying your garden, or are you not? Now, I know it sounds very simple, because someone will say, one second, there are things I do that beautify, some things I do that don't. But the key is the focus. Once you have that in your mind, teach our children from the youngest of age, you're here to beautify the corner of your world. You know, it changes everything. That doesn't mean we don't survive. It doesn't mean we don't take care of our needs. But we see life not just based on needs and survival. There's a transcendent element. And of course, the key point is I'm here to do something. Not just I'm here to receive and things be done for me. I'm here to serve. I'm here to give. I'm here to illuminate, to warm my environment. Imagine every time you meet someone. And it's not something you program yourself or force yourself, but just out of love. Every time you meet someone, you feel, I want to make sure that after we meet, that, that the person feels better than when before I met that person. And if you just have that naturally, you are fulfilling the why. In the terms of the actual original sources, the expression is that the creator or the engineer, the cosmic engineer, or the cosmic uh, conductor of this symphony desired to have a home, a dwelling place, a comfortable place in this material world. That though the material world on its own is a hostile, selfish, and therefore possibly corrupt, and not just possibly, but actually corrupt, with different competing interests, hopefully negotiating, but sometimes not, so it can lead to battle and war. Yes, survival of the fittest, in a hostile, dark world like that, to bring light to make it into a comfortable home, a garden. I think that is a pretty worthy cause. Not that my thinking here matters, but it just resonates. It's beautiful to hear. When I came to discover it personally, it changed everything. Because whatever skills I had, and I discovered them, and I actually was passionate to discover because I wanted to actually use them in some positive way, whether it's writing or communicating or speaking, which is what I do, and all the different skills that I have that are unique to me, and you have your skills that are unique to you. Many can be overlapping. It changed my entire life because it wasn't just, okay, what am I going to write based on the why? And what is the why? How can I use my skills to beautify the world in which I come in contact with? To improve it, to refine it, to clarify, to elevate it. And yes, I use the word clarify because so much of us are blinded I remember once um, a couple who were dating came to my class, was coming to my class on an ongoing basis. Then after one of the classes, they both came over to me, and the woman says to me, maybe you can convince my boyfriend to finally let's get married. 
We're dating for a long time. We love each other. Why not get married? He just doesn't want to. Anyway, long story short, I said, maybe we sit down for a coffee. Let's talk. No, I'm not here to convince you. Let's just get a sense. And he was very open, of course. Remember, we met. We met in the Grand Army Plaza. The top floor, there's uh, the, public, the, the main public library in Brooklyn, near Prospect Park and Brooklyn Museum. And the top floor is a cafe. We sat there, coffee. And we started talking. It was very comfortable, very easygoing. There was no arguments. There was no, like, pulling teeth or twisting arms. And as we're talking, I just said to him, you are together you know, at some point, so why not get married? He says, I don't see a reason for it. We're together, we're happy, and that's that. You know, so of course, we went, and he was open. He said, I really want to challenge me. I want to hear another approach. So I asked him. We went through the usual suspects. Did his parents go through a difficult, had a difficult marriage, a divorce, you know, when you have bad experiences, a broken relationship, a, you know, abuse, the, the breach trust, all the things that would cause a person to not want to be the vulnerable in a committed marriage because they can get hurt. Well, none of that seemed to pan out, meaning seemed to have grown up in a pretty balanced and healthy home, loving home. And as we continued, continued I just couldn't identify anything. So then I said to him, just out of the, just, uh, not, you know, I just something struck me, and I said, you know something? I don't think the issue is marriage alone. I think it's commitment. You have no reason to be committed to anything in any full, complete way. And he said to me, absolutely, that's true. It's not just a marriage, it's in my work, it's in my other things. I said, there's nothing that you're absolutely committed to? So he said, no, nothing I can think of. And then, of course, he was, which was a, an equal opportunity conversation, and he said to me, how about you? What are you committed to? And I remember it was a very, very sincere question, and a sincere question elicits at least in me a sincere response. So I just had a flashback to my childhood. I don't know where it came from, but it, I guess it was the way he asked the question. And I said to him, I'll tell you something very interesting, but also quirky. I never shared this with anyone. When I was a kid, so my, my home was not far from the school. I could walk or I could go by a bike or by bus. So, you know, of course, easiest to, to bike there or to, uh, or to take a bus. But sometimes I would walk, a 20-minute walk. Um, and especially when it rained, I liked to walk. Not because I liked rain, but there was some crazy quirk I had. I would go on the, this was in Brooklyn. I would go on the street, and when the rain would fall, of course, the water would run by the curb into the sewer. And I had this thing that I would like to go over and just clean out some of the dust or shrubs or twigs that would block the flow of the water so it can run smoothly into the sewer. Now, it had no benefit to anyone, <laughs> even to the water. <laughs> but I just had that, this, this feeling, this need, I'd like to unclog something and just see it flow smoother. Well, maybe some of you have this too. As I grew older, I'm telling this, uh, this fellow, I said, I realized that that passion I still do till today. I just don't do it on the curbs. I do it psychologically. I have a deep commitment and passion to what? To help unclog blocked arteries. And I mean arteries, not physical ones, but psychological and emotional ones. That when someone speaks to me, I just have a tremendous passion and I see something blocking, either a blind spot 
or something they're not noticing, something I'm noticing, to provide the clarity, to open up a block channel. Now, I must say to you, what happened next was he began to cry. And I also shed a tear. He said, that's so moving. I would love to have something like that in my life. So the conversation ensued. Again, long story short, nothing happened that day. But I planted a seed. Within six months, they were married. I'm not looking, trying to share a conquest or a victory here. It was just something clicked, and he realized that he needs to find something to commit to. And it wasn't just marriage, it was life. And basically, this is a commitment to a mission. And it drives you because there's a why. The why is, I'm looking to beautify, to perfect, or unclog, and weed the garden, so that things should grow well. There's something about it. Bringing children into the world has that element. You're bringing new life, new energy. The children are unique. Every child has its own unique personality. Being an educator has this element. And I will say, any industry you're in, you can transform it into that type of approach. Because even if it's menial work in your mind, menial labor, something that doesn't sound like you're really helping anyone, but you have co-workers, you have employees, you have employers, you have clients, you have strangers you meet. Whoever you meet, wherever you go, whatever you're encountering can be turned into such an opportunity. So why was the world created? The world was created, to use the words of the Mishnah and the Talmud that says, because of you. A person is responsible to say the entire world was created because of me. But what does that mean, because of me? Not for selfish reasons. Because you have something to contribute that you and only you can contribute. Now think of it that way. So even preceding the why, we said the why precedes the what, but you know what precedes the Why? The very fact that you exist, the very fact that you are here. Yes, you can take the approach, it's random and accident, and who cares, you're only one of 8 billion people. Or you could take the approach of a purpose-driven, a mission-driven, a why-driven. No, you're here because you have something to contribute and to beautify that no one but you can do. Period. That's it. That's a given. It's a given to the point that there was no argument, there's no second option. When you feel that deep in your heart and soul, you have a why. Because now the why is you need to do something with your life. And I'm not here to criticize or saying that you're not and anyone. We all need, can do more. I include myself. But we all need to be accountable. We also need to have introspection, be honest with ourselves. Very often we are involved in things that are just me, me, me. Or we are, I don't want to say victim, but we are products of circumstances. I'm doing this. Why? Because that's what I'm doing. Yes, it's, I earn a living because of it or other reasons. I'm also not suggesting upsetting the whole apple cart. But it's critical to start th- being a why thinker instead of a what thinker. It will change everything about your life, everything you do. Because it will go in the right order. And you begin slowly. I always suggest in the morning that we should say that morning chant or prayer or meditation, thank you for returning my soul to me. You know what that includes? First of all, it's gratitude for life, for your life. Thank you for making me indispensable. Thank you for renewing my contract. Thank you for allowing me the opportunity to be here in this world and make it a more beautiful place. Thank you for the opportunity to be a gardener to be part of the solution, not part of the problem. I mean, the thank yous can go on and on. To be an illuminator, 
someone that warms and illuminates their environment and everyone they come in contact with. Say that every morning, but with intention. It doesn't have to take long. You state it. You're stating your mission. You're stating the why. And that why, yes, is why the world was created. But remember, every one of us is a small world, a microcosm. So it's why you were created. Why are you here? And the very world is also here for you to do what you have to do. Now you'll say, what about other people? Well, they have exactly the same attitude. They too have to do something unique with their skills. And your beautifying the world is not a contradiction to someone else's. On the contrary, we join together. The synergy makes it even more beautiful. Because then you see, oh, this is the part I do. I do it through my skills. Someone else through another, other, through other type of skills. This one has these opportunities. That one knows these people. Places. All the different aspects and so-called coordinates of our lives, each in their own way, are now all being directed toward this beautiful thing. The beautiful mission, the why, of making the world a garden, a, div- a divine home, a spiritual environment. Now, if it's so simple, why do we have war? Why do we have acrimony? Why do we have so many battles and hostilities? And the answer is that's part of the purpose as well. To use the great Ariza, the 16th century mystic, the concept of tzimtzum that I've shared many times in this, on this platform, the tzimtzum, the concealment, that all this is concealed from us initially. You wake up in the morning, you can easily just indulge in whatever you need and not say or express gratitude and appreciate the why. We go right into the what. That's due to a concealment because it's also part of the goal. If the garden was just there for us to just do minimal work, what would be our purpose? The purpose is because we have to overcome a great obstacle, and that is a deep concealment, uh, the hiding of the purpose. The why is concealed in the what. So we see the what. We see a world around us. We see our lives. We see the needs we have. We feel them. Sight, sound, taste, touch, and smell all deal with the what. So part of the mission is to overcome that and be a wise person, to look within, to understand what is making things tick, the why behind it all. That's also part of the purpose. And that's what makes it both very dramatic, but also can be very challenging, because sometimes that concealment is very deep and painful. People hurt each other, not recognizing that we're all one of one larger organism, we're all part of one greater plan, we're all one garden. The fact there are many different types of trees doesn't weaken the garden. That, on the contrary, that diversity makes it even more beautiful. So diversity can lead to greater harmony. It can also lead to greater war, conflict, conflict of interest. So our mission is not just to beautify, but to spread this message as much as possible so others also embrace it. And once you do, you look at life very differently. You look at life from the inside out instead of from the outside in. I can't overstate enough how important this message is in every person's life. The challenge we have is that we are living, we're already going 90 miles an hour. We're on a merry-go-round, on a roller coaster, whatever metaphor you want to use. And it's difficult to just step back. It's much easier to do this with children and begin the right way, begin on the right foot. But the fact of the matter, we are adults and We do have our lives, we have baggage, we have water under the bridge, but that doesn't mean that you cannot renew yourself and reinvigorate yourself and recharge yourself. 
Because at the end of the day, that's what life is about. Just look at your own breath and heartbeat. No matter how old you are, it doesn't say, okay, you know, I'm breathing on, on, uh, on, on the fumes. I'm breathing on past experiences. Or I'm uh, breathing. Or I, my heart is yesterday's heartbeat. No, every moment your heart beats anew. Every moment your breath is anew. And all of that is a constant renewal. So that alone tells you life is about mobility. Don't be stuck. Don't become a couch potato. Don't become static. Life is about movement. So wherever you are, maybe more difficult because we already have the status quo and the inertia, but it's never too late. I don't even like to say it that way. It sounds, that itself sounds depressing. We always have opportunity and we go to sleep every night and we wake up in the morning refreshed. The most important part of the refreshment should be not just physically refreshed, but spiritually refreshed, psychologically refreshed, emotionally refreshed. And that's when you focus on the why. Now, once you focus on the why, you don't have to keep renewing it every second, even though that would be great. But once you have the why, now you can do the what, which is guided by. But from time to time, at least several times a day, in the morning, in the evening, before you go to sleep, when you wake up in the morning, it's good to, to do an accounting, an introspection, a soul search. Where do I stand? Is my what aligned with my why? Is my what aligned with, is my, are my actions and my behavior aligned with the purpose of it all? And that's the key to really living the most pos- meaningful possible life, which enriches everything about us. It doesn't diminish. It's adding a whole other dimension and adding the foundation upon which, the buildings we, upon which we build our buildings. The buildings are the what, the foundation is the why. So I hope we can all implement this. And I want to thank you for your attention. This has been Simon Jacobson, Meaningful Life Center. That's www.meaningfullife.com. We can listen to this program and many others. Love to hear your feedback, your thoughts, your suggestions. And also, any way you want to share this, if you feel it's worthy of sharing with others, we like things, all the different terms used in the social media world. And it's, again, a real honor to speak to you as an indispensable piece of the puzzle as I am. And together we can create this beautiful tapestry, this great cosmic symphony of harmony within diversity and an even more beautiful world than the one that we entered. We create something that much more beautiful. Thank you so much and be blessed. This program is brought to you by the Meaningful Life Center. Please help us continue our programs. Make even a small contribution at MeaningfulLife.com slash donate.